This is the Darcy Giroux Podcast, episode number two. Today, my guest is Brandon Kirby, founder of Being Libertarian Canada. We'll be talking about the war and humanitarian crisis in Yemen. Uh, Brandon Kirby, welcome to the show. It's good to good to see your face. How you doing? Pleasure to be here. Happy to uh, grace your audience with my ugly face. Well, the audience so far is pretty small, so I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping having you on, uh, we're going to change some of that. Then uh, this level of ugliness will be a minor violation of the non-aggression principle. <laughs> yeah. Well, the level of ugliness is. Uh, we don't need to worry about because uh, it's audio only. So, oh wow, okay, even better. <laughs> I just lucked out. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have to tell them I was butt ugly. That's right, and I can edit out any of the racist stuff you say, also. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, much appreciated. Okay, so well, the reason I wanted to have you on is because obviously the situation in the Ukraine and Russia is making a lot of headlines. Right now, Canada's involvement is uh, fairly significant, and it's not the only conflict that we're involved in right now. Uh, the one that I know you've paid a lot of attention to, uh, I've done a lot of writing on, is the situation in Yemen. Um, so maybe first of all, if we can have a get you to give us a summary of you know, what's been happening in Yemen and the Canadian government's role, What, how they've been involved? Well, you know, it's difficult to, uh, to trace it because the antebellum period goes back for centuries, and it doesn't really matter if you're talking about Ukraine or Yemen or what have you. Uh, but if you, we're taking a look at uh, the Yemeni crisis, where, uh, where it really started to boil over, where things broke out uh, in early to the spring of 2015 for the current uh, conflict, which is, it's like I said, it's very difficult to ascribe a date to it. Uh, but uh, the Houthi rebels had uh, taken over the capital of Yemen. So uh, the rest of the region uh, got involved with it. One of the key players of this is the Port Naiden. Eden. Uh, the Red Sea, a lot of the exports uh, from the, the Arabic uh, world go out uh, through that uh, port, through that uh, small space, and it would have been controlled by what we believe to be a subsidiary of Iran. And we don't entirely uh, know that for sure, but it's very, very likely that Iranian influences are behind the rise to power for the Houthi rebels. It, it, it's highly unlikely that they would have amassed uh, the power that they would have without Iranian support. And so that's problematic uh, for the global economy. There was, the Saudi coalition got involved. And what is problematic from a human rights perspective is the way they got involved. And so they started to destroy, I mean, not only did you see bombing of hospitals, for example, but roads, uh, you see uh, starvation being used as a weapon of war mass destruction that could result in the death of up to 10 million people. But you're seeing 
a Holocaust of the 21st century play out. And that's where there's a human rights uh, concern. The response to this is uh, what's deeply concerning to me. Uh, you, you see uh, aid trucks, they're being destroyed, but they're being destroyed by what? The labs, the LAVs, which are Canadian. And so Canada, via selling weapons to Saudi Arabia to the tune of uh, $13 billion, is now actively engaged in what a lot of human rights lawyers are calling a genocide and selling weapons, according to Article 3 of the uh, Genocide Convention, the UN's Genocide Convention in 1948, an apropos time to be discussing genocide in response to it, selling weapons is itself a genocidal war crime. So by approving these export permits to Saudi Arabia, Canada has become guilty of genocidal war crimes. Uh, the deal was negotiated in 2014 by Stephen Harper's Conservatives, supported by the Liberals, and when Trudeau was voted into power, it, there were multiple reports that were coming out from the BBC, from Al Jazeera, which clearly indicated that this is a genocide. And so it became incumbent upon Trudeau for ethical reasons primarily, but legal reasons as well, to deny the export permits. And he did not do that. He had, instead, he approved it. So you have Stefan Dion, Christia Freeland, Melanie Jolie, Justin Trudeau. We're all approving these export permits uh, for weapons going to genocidal war crimes. Now, the example that I like to use or that I used to use when it was the conservatives, because I left the conservatives in 2015. This had a lot to do with it. There were a few other reasons as well. The example that I used to use was, do you remember the shooting in the Orlando nightclub? There was a gay nightclub and there was a shooter who killed 50 people, I believe it was. Now, when the police showed up, imagine the police took the side of the shooter, not the victims. And if your imagination is failing you and you can't imagine to that, you can't imagine that, go to Saudi Arabia. That's where it's a reality. Now the situation would be much worse. Now the situation, because we're talking about genocide, because we're talking about the bombing of hospitals, what we're instead talking about is somebody going into a gun shop. You and I are both libertarians. So I imagine you spent some time at the gun range. Imagine somebody goes into a gun shop and says, I'd like to buy a semi-automatic. I'd like to mow down an elementary school. What would the store owner say? Well, clearly they'd have to call the police and say no. In Canada's case, in Justin Trudeau's case, the gun store owner has said yes. And that's a horrifying reality. That's the reality that Canada's in. You think of these massive violations of ethics, and I don't even know that I want to use the word ethics. It's so inhumane. What Canada has become over these last uh, 70 years is unconscionable. It's unthinkable that we've arrived at this level of evil. Every single evil description you've seen of tyrants in history now applies to Canada. The, the mere concept of voting, either conservative or liberal, boggles the mind to me at this juncture. Right. Yeah. So, you know, again, if we're, if we're going to compare these two conflicts, I don't want to get too deeply into the Russia-Ukraine thing, but... You know, from uh, the average Canadian's perspective, uh, it's pretty obvious why 
Canada picked the side it did in uh, the Ukraine-Russia conflict. It's pretty obvious that, you know, the, um, our policy has been uh, support and aid for the Ukraine for, you know, I don't, forever, as far as I know. Um, and, you know, we have a huge Ukrainian population in Canada, especially in the Prairie Provinces. Uh, in the Yemeni conflict, it's not obvious why we're involved at all, and it's not obvious why that deal with the Saudis is important. Uh, could you expand on that at all? Well, you know, it is a point of intrigue for me because if you think about it, uh, I don't know if you were involved with politics, let's say, 20 years ago, but when the Iraq war was heating up, there was this accusation that I often heard towards the people who were urging for, they were beating the war drums, as it were. And they said, oh, well, this is just a war for oil. This is just a war for economic concerns. And they would deny it every single time because it would be unconscionable that you're killing people just for economic reasons. If you take a look at what's going on in Ontario's London, there are jobs at stake. We have general dynamics, we have jobs at stake, and the defense of this that Trudeau will give is, well, we have to have uh, these contracts going in perpetuity. There's economic reasons for doing so. How many jobs, like how many jobs are at stake? I don't think it's 100,000 jobs even. Well, it's about 3,000. It's the same thing with SNC-Lavalin. I live not very far from SNC-Lavalin's uh, headquarters here in Montreal. And it's the exact same thing. So, okay, SNC-Lavalin's uh, part of the military-industrial complex, got involved with Libya, where we partnered with sex trafficking terrorists to overthrow Gaddafi. Now you can buy a slave in Libya for about $500. And you can watch these horrifying slave auctions. Al Jazeera did an expose. If you have the stomach for it, I recommend going to watch it, but uh, you're not going to sleep well that night. I can promise you that. And what's the defense of uh, SNC-Lavalin and their, their involvement with the uh, bribery and the corruption uh, that was going on with the Gaddafi family? What's the, uh, what's the defense of their involvement with uh, Saudi Arabia or their involvement with the Maduro uh, regime in Venezuela? There's 9,000 jobs at stake. And so it seems to me as though there's a hollowing out and emptying of the, the soul. I don't know if it has anything to do with social media or not. That's just me throwing the accusations out there as to what's correlating with the fact that we no longer consider ethics as part of the discussion. When we say Canada's involved with genocide, this, in my recollection, in my recollection of our upbringing and what we used to discuss in terms of foreign policy, these things used to go viral. These things were part of the national conversation. Now it's, oh, yeah, I guess Canada's involved with genocide now. Bummer. It's, uh, it's horrifying to see the hollowing out the emptying of the Canadian soul. In terms of the actual uh, economics of it, it does add about uh, $13 billion to our economy. But... Can we not find another buyer for these weapons? You know, there, there's so many different ways of uh, looking at the uh, the economy where the current government has done badly. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand why we're not talking about genocidal war crimes as one of the biggest, if not the biggest, election issue. Right, yeah. So, say these jobs were to... Say these companies were to not be allowed to ser- service that contract with the Saudis. It's not like those jobs instantly disappear and it's not like those people's labor is instantly taken off the table i mean resources get reallocated and to usually to more productive better means when uh you know when they're not involved with genocidal war crimes um it's the broken window fallacy oh absolutely it is yeah for sure as far as the the situation with that conflict right now is where where are we even at with it because you hear so little about this are is is there the potential for escalation or is this is it winding down where where are we at with it you know it it goes in cycles uh, quite a bit so there's a ceasefire and then the ceasefire is not uh, honored my concern uh, primarily i mean you're always going to have the shellings but the big concern right now is uh, the deaths due to starvation, because when you start talking about starvation as a weapon of war, that's where it really gets the uh, capacity to have a cascading effect, where we just, they no longer have the means uh, to get involved. And so, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Doctors Without Borders at one point had uh, pulled out entirely of the Yemeni conflict, and now they're back involved, but they're not back involved where they're most needed, which is uh, the northern part of North Yemen that's inhabited by the Saudi Muslims who are an offshoot of uh, Shia Islam. Uh, that's where the concern is, and that's where the uh, massive starvation is, and that's where you could see a cascade into the Holocaust, uh, a Holocaust-type scenario where you're looking at 10 million deaths. Now, we're looking at hundreds of thousands of uh, deaths right now, but it, it could easily translate to millions. And so even if there is a ceasefire, if the infrastructure is uh, not rebuilt, then that's where it, it gets out of hand. Hmm. Right. So, I guess another thing, uh, putting this in perspective, I was doing a little bit of light reading on some of these numbers. Now, is it is it one point three billion in arms to the Saudis, or is it thirteen billion? Thirteen billion. Thirteen billion. Now, so I was making some notes here, and I'm well. Might- well Hold on, that's $13 billion with the Saudi arms contract that was negotiated in 2014. There's other arms that we deal, but that's the LAVs, and those are the weapons that are being used to carry, that are being carried out in the genocide. But there's other arms where we just haven't tallied it. So you could have RPGs, for example, that are going to the Saudis. Uh, when you mention that, because there are other contracts and there are other uh, weapons that we send to them, I mean, you really have to call into question... Trudeau's credentials as a feminist, Trudeau's credentials as an LGBTQ rights defender. Because when you give weapons that are being used to point out women who are themselves accused of sexual, who, 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 are, who themselves have been sexually assaulted, and the weapons are used to be pointed at them so that they can face punishment, can you call yourself a feminist at that case? When you look at all the weapons, and what they're being used for. It's not just the genocide in Yemen. It's the massive human rights abuses. When you look at weapons that are being used to arrest people because they themselves are homosexual, 
Can you call yourself a gay rights defender? It's not just the 13 billion that are being used towards the LAVs. It's weapons all across the board. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can call yourself a gay rights defender. I don't think you can call yourself an ally to the LGBTQ plus community and say you're a liberal and say you're a conservative. Those are mutually exclusive terms at this point Mm -hmm. because of the various arms contracts that are being used. It's, it's not just these uh, labs with the anti-tank equipment with machine gun turrets. It's not just the labs. There's other contracts involved as well that are being used that are completely in opposition to the stated goals of the liberal party, to the stated goals of the conservative party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, you know, part of that, like the very libertarian idea that, you know, you know, small arms, uh, things that can be used, uh, well, the term that Rothbard used was pinpointed at a single aggressor. So if if you're using them in defense, a gun or even a bow and arrow or something, you can target it at a specific person, even some sort of high-powered laser beam. Um, A lot of this stuff in that we're talking about i'm not sure you know exactly what's in all these deals but you can be sure that they are weapons of war that are far more indiscriminate uh they they uh you know produce death and carnage on a scale that is uh very very large um so, yeah, I mean, you know, from our perspective, that would, you know, that in itself is enough to, is enough to be against, against it. Now, again, when we talk about the role of government, it, absolutely Trudeau should, you know, not be sanctioning uh, these trade agreements at all, right? Um, now... But even us as, you know, Canadians, as normal people, what else, what else can a, you know, a person be doing? Because obviously the average person isn't going to be involved in, uh, you know, other, like if you're working at that uh, arms manufacturing plant, like General Dynamics or whoever it is, you, and you had an ethical quandary. Uh, you could easily quit and take, you know, uh, take your labor somewhere else. What else, you know, what else can the average Canadian who doesn't like to see this stuff happening be doing? I mean, I know you've been very vocal and active about it, but people who uh, just want to see this stopped, you know, aside from, I suppose, petitioning their local MP or whatever, Okay. Well, there's two really interesting issues that you brought up there. I mean, the first is the gun control uh, issue, and the second is the what can I do issue. Uh, I mean, the gun control issue, you and I as libertarians probably have an adverse reaction to the term gun control. But we don't believe in weapons that are indiscriminate. I I mean, I would be 99% confident you would not be in favor of your neighbor having some sort of a mutated form of polio set to unleash on society. Uh, But you certainly don't want to be banning uh, automatics. So there has to be at some point a recognition as to 
what constitutes a violation of the non-aggression principle. And having owning some a mutated form of polio constitutes a violation of the non-aggression principle. And so there is a discussion about this, not so much in uh, Canadian parlance, but uh, in the UK, the type of bombs, the weapons, uh, they have an arms deal with Saudi Arabia right now that's worth five billion pounds. But the type of bombs that they're selling to Saudi Arabia are indiscriminate killers. They're not just bombs with a massive uh, dispersion. Like the, the way they, the BBC did a cover story on this where they're looking at the shells that become mines uh, where if you accidentally trigger them and you wouldn't know that. It's disgusting, uh, the sort of weapons that Saudi Arabia is using right now with the labs and simply leave it up to the interpretation as to whether or not uh, they constitute a violation of the non-aggression principle. I would say they don't in and of themselves, the same way owning a gun doesn't constitute a violation of the non-aggression principle. But if you point it at a child, you're the problematic element here. Uh, at that point, you can't be selling weapons when you know they're going to be used to kill children. But the type of weapons, I think, is very useful uh, for us to have a conversation about. Now, the other issue was, what can I do to get involved? And why I think is so, so important is looking at the, uh, the emptying of ethics from the conversation. So, for example, you know, I'm polishing off uh, an MBA right now. And there was, uh, it is part of it. I had to uh, do some marketing with a company where at one point they appeared to be doing uh, some contracts that involved war profiteering. I said, well, now hold on a minute. That doesn't work for me. And the look that I got from the class when I raised an ethical question with respect to business was, what is wrong with you? Uh, we don't have ethical conversations. There's one other guy in the class who's like, oh, I'm so glad to hear you raised that. And even the professor didn't even know how to handle what had gone wrong. But to me, it's a no-brainer that you'd have ethics as part of the conversation. And so what I would urge people to do is have ethics as part of the conversation in every single issue. I mean, look, for example, at uh, daycare. We're having uh, federal rollouts of various daycare programs nationally. I don't know if they're doing it in Alberta, but Trudeau is trying to negotiate these with all the provinces. But we're doing deficit spending to accomplish these national daycare programs. So what does this mean? The kid's paying for its own daycare with deficit spending. I don't know if you've been to Athens recently, but uh, I can tell you they're working 12, 14 hours a day, six or seven days a week to pay off the debts that their parents gave them. And this is the future that we're giving our kids saying, oh, well, here's your free daycare. Now you get to live the life of an Athenian. I happen to think that there's an ethical conversation that we can have with this, that this is highly unethical to be doing this to our children for our own convenience. And why this is so popular politically is you see all these social media posts saying, look how much this helps me. Look how much this helps me. Look how much this helps me. And I'm saying, look how much it hurts your kid. So let's make ethics a part of every single conversation we have within the political arena. Let's stop talking about, uh, you know, the numbers. and They matter, but they matter because how much they hurt people. So let's start talking not in terms of convenience, 
let's start talking in terms of ethics. Now, let's stop talking in terms of this is how much easier this makes my life. Let's start talking in terms of this is how much I'm helping the lives of others. This is what I think is missing from the conversation where I used to see this 20 years ago. I used to see this. I'm not seeing it anymore. And that's what concerns me. This is why you can get away with economic justifications. Oh, well, we have to keep the contract. This is why you can get away with the economic justifications of we have 3,000 jobs at stake. We have 9,000 jobs at stake, which happen to be in swing ridings. This is why you get away with economic justifications because we no longer think in terms of ethics. I'd like to see a return to the use of ethics. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Going back to some of these numbers here, $13 billion in an arms deal. Uh, the Canadian government is basically acting as a broker, correct? I mean, I, I believe that's the way it works. It works similar to, uh, you know, there's like uh, export brokerage that the government runs for things like alcohol and tobacco and stuff like that. And I believe with uh, this... Uh, military stuff, it, it's the same thing. So they're acting as a brokerage. They're collecting a cut of that money of some kind. Do you have any idea what that number is? Like how much the government actually puts in its coffers on this deal? Uh, well, it would be a superficial number. If... The reason I bring it up is because at the same time, uh, you know, we're collecting what we, not we, the government of Canada is collecting this money. And then turning around and, and giving another, uh, I believe it's around $300 million, uh, in aid to Yemen also. So, I, yeah. you know, I, I, can't, I can't be convinced that, uh, though, that it's a net positive, even, for, even from a financial standpoint, even, even including those uh, 3,000 uh, jobs it likely is a net positive because it's not just uh, it's it's not just fees that they collect on top of it. It's also the income taxes that people at General Dynamics would pay. It's also uh, corporate taxes that they collect. It's also you know when they spend this money, this goes throughout the Canadian economy. Altogether, in terms of the tax revenue that it would generate, it's probably pretty close to about seven and a half billion dollars. But that being said, I think we should take a look at uh, the foreign aid uh, perspective. And being true to form, I mean, take a look at it from an ethics perspective. Uh, you know, if you're robbed by somebody and they say, oh, no big deal, here's a 20 sheet, but they took $1,000 worth of your stuff, you know, that's not a Excuse me. That's not a huge uh, help to you. That's not a huge boost to you. So from a Yemeni perspective, if somebody's giving guns to people that are pointing them at my kids, but then they turn around and build a bridge for me, I don't really give a shit that they built a bridge. I care that they killed my kids. That's the way that I would look at uh, the foreign aid. I mean, you want to help Yemen with respect to foreign aid, stop selling them weapons. You don't have to build a bridge to stop selling them weapons that's the way that I would look at it. For sure. Now, now in the absence of Saudi involvement in that conflict, uh, what, what would the outcome be? 
Well, it's tough to say because, I mean, the whole of the Middle East is – well, this is hyperbole in the extreme. But the whole of the Middle East is characterized by a cold war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. So if Iran's getting involved with Yemen and they're in control of uh, the port in uh, Aden, then, oh, okay, now Saudi Arabia is not involved, but Iran is involved. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, Iran is not – openly involved. I mean, I think they're still denying their involvement, although most people from the outside looking in uh, seem to think it's obvious that they are involved. You can probably tell from my shirt, uh, if you're any good at uh, reading the characters, uh, where my loyalties lie. Uh, It's with the people of Iran. Um, I'm deeply infatuated with Persian culture. Um, With the Revolutionary Guard, the notion that they're not involved with Yemen would be akin to Russia invades Canada and Canada wins the war and somebody coming along and saying America was never involved. You'd have to be pretty fucking stupid to say something. One, of course they would get involved. And two, there's no way we could repel a Russian invasion without their help. And so the idea that the Houthi rebels have actively managed to fight off the Saudi coalition is insane. I mean, the, the Houthi rebels are, are outmanned, outgunned. Uh, they're outfinanced. There's no way they could fight off the Saudi rebel, the Saudi coalition without Iranian involvement. So it's 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 a notion that I I don't take too seriously, even though the evidence is a little thin to suggest that they're involved. Sure. Yeah. So, and then what is? Like, what are the Saudis' main interests in in Yemen? It's it's the trade, I, I, and you also have to consider consider the uh, the rise of the new Persian Empire as well. I mean, they could be going, they could be stretching from Afghanistan all the way to the Mediterranean because they have satellites involved with Iraq, they have satellites in Syria, they have satellites uh, in countries all over the place. Uh, so this Cold War, Saudi Arabia was in retreat. Now they have. Uh, Yemen, which, you know, I, uh, I have uh, houses in New Brunswick. The largest oil refinery in Canada is in St. John, New Brunswick. It's the Irving Oil Refinery. And you'll never guess whose oil they deal with, Saudi Arabia's oil. So when you take a look at the importance of uh, this port and how much of the world, the global economy, depends on exports uh, going through this port uh, that the Houthi rebels were controlling, uh, it's massive. It's a colossal a destruction to the global economy. Uh, it's a colossal destruction of the Saudi economy, uh, it, it w- which impacts all of us too. I mean, there's there's jobs in uh, my own home province. I, I mean, there's the energy sector could uh, face havoc if Iran is in control of it. If Iran is in control as to who enters and who doesn't, so there are there are considerations beyond the ethical that would suggest we would want to see the Houthis retreat. So now it's starting to look a little more complicated. Well, yeah, it absolutely does seem complicated. Yeah. And, but that's exactly why I want to talk about it. Um, whatever, uh, whatever moral and ethical reasons between nation states might exist for Canada to, you know, Canada in quotation marks, you know, to be involved in the conflict in Ukraine or the conflict in Yemen, um, it really doesn't service 
Canadians at all in any way. Doubly so. I, I, I mean, when I say I work in counterfinance of terrorism, any time that I've tried to take on Saudi Arabia, I mean, Saudi Aramco, their nationalized oil producer, we know is involved with the finance of various affiliates of Al-Qaeda. I mean, they're financing uh, organizations that are trying to kill us. It's not in her best interest to be aligned with Saudi Arabia, except for when it's in our economic interest. And I would actually go a little bit further than that and say it's not even in our economic interest. So if I had my choice as a patriotic Canadian between uh, uh, Energy East pipeline that goes to St. John or dealing with these oil tankers that are coming in from Saudi Arabia into the St. John Harbor, which one would I choose? Well, as a patriotic Canadian, I'd love the pipeline. I mean, that's in Canada's best interests economically. Now, who owns a lot of the engineering contracts with Saudi Aramco? SNC Labo. So whose interest is it in? Is it Canada writ large? Or is it a select few that have a lot of political influence? Well, I would say it's the select few. So I don't think it's in Canada's best interest to be having the sort of energy contracts that we have, the weapons contracts that we have, when we take a look at who it is we're involved with on a global scope. I think you really spoke the truth. You said it's really not in our best interest to be involved. Yeah, we're antagonizing people that we probably shouldn't be antagonizing. I'm no fan of Putin. Okay? I've got libertarian comrades in Iran, or not in Iran, Ukraine, that are fighting him right now. We have libertarian friends in Russia that have been uh, imprisoned uh, by Putin. He's not a good guy. He's a, and that's an understatement. He's a bad guy. He's not our friend as libertarians. I am not pro-Putin. I am not pro-revolutionary guard. I'm anti these people. I'm just saying I don't think it's in Canada's interest uh, to be aligning ourselves with uh, some of the corruption that's happening in Ukraine. It's not in Canada's best interest to be aligning ourselves with people that are financing terrorists that are trying to kill us. It's not in our best interest to be sacrificing uh, the energy sector in Alberta uh, just so we could be enriching the folks at SNC-Lavo. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I can't help but wonder how fast some of these conflicts would resolve themselves without, you know, Canada and, and some, of, some of the other big players uh, putting their nose in it and uh, getting involved and escalating things based on that type of corruption that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I hate to resort to the arts to be able to make uh, points on ethics or politics. I tend to find the arts to be counterproductive, but uh, there is a fantastic episode of Star Trek. If you've never seen it, uh, I highly uh, recommend it. We've uh, called them up time. And I've always wondered why it is why more Canadians or Brits or Americans don't care that their governments are involved with genocide. Like, to me, that's the worst thing you could do. Yeah. And what Amok Time was, was about uh, two societies, they were at war, and they didn't care. And the reason why was the war was fought mathematically. They'd say, okay, you, you, and you go report to this disintegration chamber to die because we've mathematically calculated. But if you look outside, when they arrived, everything looked immaculate. Everyone looked at peace. The buildings were intact. There was no death, disease, horror. You couldn't see it. 
and when we take a look at satellite wars, this is exactly what's happening. Yeah, Canada is involved with the conflict. You walk outside of your house, are you going to see the conflict? No, you're not. You're going to see nothing but peace. You're going to see some prosperity. You're going to see clean air to breathe, clean water to drink. Things are going pretty well for you. And so you're not faced with the horrors of war. If you lived in Yemen, you'd have a completely different opinion. You might not agree with me, but you'd have a completely different opinion. You'd see the death. You'd see the disease, cholera. You'd see the horrors. You'd see the starvation. You'd see schools being blown up. And you'd say, okay, there's something deeply problematic going on right now. And I think this, in a very real way, is why so many Canadians don't care. We just don't see it. This is why they can get away with it. We don't see it. Well, yeah. Well, that's a really good point. Uh, so thanks a lot for coming on and enlightening us on some of this stuff. Uh, absolutely terrifying what the Canadian government is involved with. It's my pleasure. Always, uh, always a pleasure to talk to something that's uh, near and dear to my heart, so I appreciate you uh, disseminating this. That was Brandon Kirby, founder of Being Libertarian Canada. You can follow him on Facebook at Being Libertarian Canada. To make sure you never miss an episode of the Darcy Drew podcast, make sure to get on my email subscribers list on Substack.